Welcome to Meant to Be Mama podcast. We are your hosts, Meg and Sarah. Two women with one mission, unpacking the real and raw truths of infertility, pregnancy after loss, motherhood, and everything in between. Thank you for joining us today. We are so glad you're here. Hi, you guys. Welcome to our episode with our first ever guest speaker. I am so excited. This is Meg, and we are so honored and so grateful for one of our dear friends, Heather Melton, to pop on and share her journey now that you've kind of heard a glimpse of Sarah's journey and mine and how our stories are so different. Heather comes into this picture in a whole other world of fertility, and that's with her journey in IVF to becoming a mama. And it's just been such an honor to watch. And I know that it's not easy, but her strength and resilience and just heart around this process is so awesome to just see from the sidelines. And you inspired me so much, Heather, and I'm just really excited to hear your like full story. I haven't actually ever really like heard the the big picture. So without further ado, let me just chit chat in. <laughs> so excited to have you on. I'm so excited to meet you too. I don't think we've ever like officially met in person. No, we uh, haven't. It's like we're Instagram fangirls of each other, but <laughs> I'm definitely a fangirl. So I'm so, so excited to have you on. You're real. You made last night. I was dying. Oh my gosh. Instagram on here so that you, all you guys can follow her because she's amazing one to follow. So. Oh, I love you girls. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm seriously so excited and so honored and just cannot wait. Yay. So tell us, like, I know you said you had like a six year journey of trying, like how, like, when did you guys decide to start trying? Like, kind of give us like the backstory, maybe pre IVF and, you know, however much you feel comfortable opening up, like this is, this is your your stage, your, your place right here. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And yeah. And if, if you follow me for like five seconds, you'll know that I'm such an open book about everything. So, um, definitely like there's really nothing I, I wouldn't share. So, you know, if anyone ever has any questions, like please reach out. Um, but yeah, so I'll just kind of start from the beginning. Um, my husband and I, we've been married for almost six years now. And so we got married in May of 2017 and pretty much like right away, it was one of those, like, we're, we're like not trying, but we're not, not trying. Like we definitely knew we wanted to have a family together and we were just like, why not? You know, let's just get it going. And so in November of 2017, was when I officially got off birth control and I was just like, okay, like let's do this. And I feel like that's such a big moment in anyone's, you know, life and journey when you're just like, let's get off birth control. And then you just imagine that you're just going to get pregnant right away. (laughs) And that's um, not always the case. So um, that was November, 2017. And for honestly, like two and a half years, we were, we were trying, you know, we were it was one of those where we started out the first, you know, probably few months, just, just, I would say just trying really naturally, you know, like not tracking anything, nothing like that, just like not preventing anything and having fun with it. And each month kind of like, Oh my gosh, like what, what if we could be pregnant, you know? And then, um, in, and then, and then after a few months we're like, okay, let's just like actually start tracking. So then we would start doing like the little ovula- ovulation strips. And, um, we started to like actually take 
take like a pregnancy tests each month. Like if I was going to be, you know, if I was close to when I would either start my period or could be pregnant. And we were definitely like paying more attention to the timing of it. But if for those of you, which um, if you're listening to this podcast, a lot of you probably have done something similar and, you know, maybe you have tracked this before, but it can get really exhausting. It can get really just, you know, monotonous. It can take the fun out of sex, like all those things. And we would just, honestly, we would go a few months tracking and then we would just kind of peel back and be like, you know what, like, let's just take a, like a month off or something like this is getting ridiculous. And so we did that honestly off and on for a few, for, for probably close to, let's see, it was like two and a half years. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things where every single month when I would start my period, it would be like, damn it. Like I'm, you know, I'm not like, uh, like, gosh, it didn't work again. But then we'd also after like, sorry to interrupt, like two years of, you know, just trying and did you think anything of it or just like, it'll happen when it happens? Like when did you, to be honest, like what's going on? (laughs) Yeah. Like there was definitely part of me that was like, what is going on? There's got to be something wrong with this. But I would always kind of just at the end of the day, kind of blame it on like, oh, I probably am tracking this wrong because like yeah. Meg and I are similar in the sense we that are. we're always just like, oh, just sitting here, like, you know, whatever. And like, so I just always I am blame so it the on, opposite. Like, <laughs> yeah. okay. I'm so the opposite. Yeah, we're always just like, we always bond over like funny, hilarious things that we do that most people would look at us like, you're crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so, so I, I definitely would always just blame it on like the ovulation strips or the tests or the timing. And I'd be like, you know, I'm probably just doing this wrong. But there was always something kind of deep inside me that was like, I feel like it should have worked by now. You know, like it's, but we also were in a place where we were having so much fun in our marriage. And, you know, I was between that, I was around uh, between 26 and 29. It was like those years, newly married, having a blast, traveling all the time, having so much fun that at the same time, I was also every month like, okay, well, like I was able to silver lining it. So I was like, it's fine. Like we have this vacation coming up and it's okay. Like we can just have another month where we're just trying and it'll be fun, you know? So but deep down inside, for sure, there was always this like pit in my stomach. Like, what if something's wrong? And so we booked an appointment and I finally was like, okay. And I was honestly so scared, you guys, to make that appointment. Like, because part of me was just like, this is so blissful and fun, just not knowing if anything's wrong. So like, if you don't get an appointment, then you never have to know if something's wrong. And it was a big fear thing that held me back for a long time. People and when would be was, like, oh, yeah, when we... was that after like this was in um, this was in April. So funny story. This is in April 2020. I booked my appointment okay. and then the world shut down okay. and okay. everything oh was crazy. Gosh. And like this, since it's not considered like an essential thing, like my appointment got canceled and because it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we kind of just like okay, I guess it got canceled. And we're like, well, you know, they were just told us they would reschedule. So we just kind of waited. And then to be honest, even that fell by the wayside. It was just like the world was so crazy all of 2020. We weren't, we were still kind of going back to like testing a little bit, but we, we still had no answers, had no appointment, was too scared to do anything, kind of just frozen, paralyzed, all of that. Finally, 
in March of 2021. So uh, we waited a long time, but March 2021, we finally booked an appointment um, with my OB just to like get checked out. I'm like, first step, let's just see if they can find something wrong. Um, They did all these tests on me for, um, honestly, it took like three or four months to just do initial blood work, tests, ultrasounds, um, to different, different types of things. And they they, every test, they'd be like, okay. Yes, exactly. Always. Of course it was just like, just the testing me. And, um, it was just test after test. Like I'd get the results back and they'd be like, no, everything looks normal. We don't see anything wrong. Um, it could be, you know, it's just, maybe you just haven't been doing it at the right time. Or maybe, have you tried the ovulation strips? I'm like, oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, so it was like, I'm kind of, I'm yeah. a little shocked that that's what they said to you after like four years. Yeah. And it, but it was because I, honestly, it's because I think I went into it pretty nonchalant of like, well, we would test, you know, this much and then we would test the, you know, these months and they're like, well, unless you've tested consistently for a year, then. And so I just, again, kind of blamed it on myself and I'm like, okay, we just haven't been consistent enough. We haven't tested enough or, or, you know, done enough with the strips or whatever. So like test after test, we'd roll it out. They ended up finally, um, there was, it was like the last step where they were like, okay, let's get your husband tested now, which to me, I find pretty ridiculous. Like it's one of those things I tell people now when they first start trying to have a baby, I'm like, before even trying, like go get, have your husband do a a test with their sperm. Like it's really not that hard. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Okay. Like no guy wants to go do that, but it can literally save you months, if not a year. Our, for us, it's it would have saved us a year if we didn't, if we would have gotten him tested right away. With women, like on the opposite end, like do the modern fertility test, do like get your blood work yes. done just to see before you even start trying. Like it's so full circle. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so, you know, I, this was after um, like months and months of me doing my own tests. And then it was like, okay, let's get your husband checked. If he's good, then we'll do more testing, which was going to be a little bit more invasive, like for me. And so we went and got him, got his, like a semen analysis for him, um, right away, instantly within like a few days, the results came back and it was, um, it was, he had, it was like a low sperm count, low motility, and it was abnormally shaped. Um, so it's called like abnormal morphology. So the sperm is abnormally shaped. So it was kind of like triple whammy there. Um, and so then that they proceed, they're like, okay, well, before we do anything, he needs to do a second one. Cause we need at least two tests to kind of compare. So he did another test, um, same thing, but actually the sperm count went lower the second time. And, so they were like, okay, so it's seeming like even every time that he, that he does, it's going lower. So like, it's only going to keep going lower basically, like the longer that you wait. And so then, you know, of course we got, we got um, referred to a, a, just a fertility doctor for men, for men. And then he went in, had that appointment. They thought they thought that they found some things, you know, different, like with um, varicocele, which is like an enlarged vein. Like they, there was all these things that they thought they found. But at the end of the day, long story short, 
it, they were basically like, there's really nothing that you can do. Like the only option is IVF. It wasn't even like, oh, you can try IUI and you can try this and you can, you know, there's all these other steps that a lot of women do like Clomid or, you know, things like that. They have to like find like the perfect sperm. Right. Exactly. So it was like, for us, our our chances have never been zero. It's never been a 0% chance, but it's, the thing is, is they, what, what they told us was that it takes usually around 20 to 60 million sperm to get pregnant, whether it's through IUI or natural 20 to 60 million. And in each sample, like the first one he gave, he had a million. And the second one he gave, he had 750,000. So it was just, we were, you know, in their eyes, perfect candidates for IVF because you just need one sperm for every egg. But getting pregnant naturally, they gave us like a 1% chance that it would ever happen. And then IUI wasn't even an option because they'd have to literally get like 20 to 60 sperm samples from him just to do one IUI, which has, you know, not as good of rates. So that was the route from the beginning. It was like IVF is your only option. So, and that was in, we found that out in November of 2021. And we had our first consultation for IVF in December of 2021. So, so how did that feel when you got that news? I was devastated, completely devastated. Like, and it was crazy because we had to drive separately to that appointment because he had to go, he's a CrossFit coach. So he had to go coach right after, straight from the appointment. So we drove separate and the appointment took way longer than we thought. So pretty much he had to, we had to just walk out of the office and he had to be like, okay, I have to go, like I have to go coach. And it was like, uh, whoa. Okay. And then it was insane, really, really crushing news, especially because walking in there from our previous appointment, they had said that they thought they found something that could be fixed by either natural things or through like a really quick and easy procedure for him. So we thought that it was, that was going to be the outcome. But then after reviewing the results more, they just were like, that's not going to help. And the only option is IVF. So it was, I was crushed. I was honestly like, well, of course I was bawling hysterically. And I was honestly so pissed. Like I was just in for so many reasons. I think the first thing that came to my mind was just like, I've just never pictured this. Like having, having babies to me, it never involved like science or, you know, having to do something like this. Like it just always to me was like, you have sex with your partner and you get pregnant and it's this beautiful thing. So at first, and I keep saying at first because I have a very different perspective now, but in that moment, I just was like, what on earth? Like this isn't how I wanted it to go. And all these things started instantly flooding into my mind about like, I'm not even going to be able to do like to ever have like a positive pregnancy test that I get to show James and be like a surprise. And we're never going to be able to surprise our family members and our friends. Cause I mean, technically you can with IVF, but like I said, I'm an open book. There's no way I could hold that in. And so we just a lot of things just were like going through my mind and just like, I'm not going to have this. And I was thinking all about the things I would lose having to do IVF. And it was, it took me a few, like about a month to, to really even come to terms and be like, okay, I'll do it. And then from then 
it's just totally, totally changed. And I have a such a different perspective. And I'm so grateful for everything. And like, honestly, I right here where I'm where I'm like standing right now, with everything we've gone through, I really think about it. And I'm like, I wouldn't trade this. Like, I, I really would not trade this, this story, this what everything that's happened. I wouldn't trade it with someone who just got pregnant the first month of trying and has beautiful babies in their arms. Like, I would not trade it, which is crazy to say now because it a brings, year ago, when you go just a year ago, I was in such a different place. It brings such like resilience and like gratitude in a whole other form of of like bringing life into this world when you have to go through hard things. You know, Sarah and I have talked about that a lot. Where like what you, it's like the first initial thing you're in like denial and then you're like go through like the acceptance you're like okay like this is my story this is my reality like at the end of the day like my goal even how shitty is uh, of all of this that, that, that it is like my goal is to bring a baby into this world and like that kind of like it's like the train that keeps going like because you're just you have that goal in mind you know how is how did so I'm in, I'm curious as to like how you got there because for me hearing the story like there were because I had a genetic with my first loss it was a genetic issue so there was a little bit of time where they were like we want to make sure we want to do all of the tests to make sure that this won't happen again so there was a little bit of time where if some of those tests had come back um, like positive we would have had to go down a route of IVF. And I remember like thinking about it and just, just like pray, honestly, like praying that I wouldn't have to go down that path. Um, so I'm so curious as to like how you got from being completely devastated after you got that news to now being so grateful for it, because I feel like that's gotta be such a hard journey to get to. And I'm sure people listening, um, who are in like the thick of it, you know, can, will hopefully be so inspired by like how strong you are mentally and emotionally with all of it. Cause it's, to me, it's like mind blowing. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's okay. So I would say how I got here. Number one, I think it really helped that probably in about like over the summer, uh, as I was going through all the testing of everything and trying to figure out what was going on, that was the first time that I ever started therapy. And honestly, that's been a huge part of my journey and something that I recommend to a lot of people is just, and similarly to, to making an appointment for my, you know, fertility testing, like I did the same thing with my therapy. Like I needed to do it for so long, but it was just making that initial phone call to just make an appointment. And it took me forever. But when I finally did now, it's just, it's changed my life, honestly. And so that was huge having already being in therapy and then hearing that news was, was honestly the best thing that could have that like best position I could have been in because I right away was like, I need an emergency session. <laughs> and I just, you know, talked to my therapist and like just having, having that was, was great because I could just with no judgment, just say exactly how I was feeling. And there wasn't going to be like, Oh, but, but what about this? And, you know, I, I wasn't ready for feedback yet. I wasn't ready for other people's opinions. I just needed to vent and to talk it through. And it was honestly just having someone to listen. And I would just be talking in circles, talking in circles. And then I would kind of come to this realization myself. And, and I remember the first thing 
one of the first sessions that we had though was I I was I was just telling her because you know of course your therapist knows everything about you like you're upbringing all these things and you know I haven't had like the easiest upbringing there's been like a lot of things that have happened that that have really shaped me to who I am today and a lot of trauma and a lot of things like that and so what I've always like come to the conclusion of in therapy and stuff is that it's not about like why me like why do I have to be going through this it's more about like no why me like why have I been chosen to go through this and why have I been placed in this situation and what am I going to do with it like am I like you know and of course it's not like you can get there overnight but when I was talking to my therapist, like eventually I I was just like, but why, like, why does this have to happen to me? Like, I feel like so many things like this happened to me and like, why? And she was like, well, why do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, why? (laughs) And she's like, no, why do you think? Like, like, you know, what, what have you always said? And I'm like, well, yeah. Okay. So hard things have come into my life because, and I, I truly, truly believe that I have a unique, you know, everyone's unique. Everyone has something unique that they bring to the table. And I think I have this like special thing that I kind of always used to think I was just like a blabbermouth and like, I need, I just talk about everything and I've no filter and no anything. And, but like that really has helped me with a lot of those things because of connecting with other people. And because, because I, I'm totally fine sharing and opening up it kind of almost opens up this like floodgate where it allows other people to be able to talk to me and be able to share with me and feel connected and find like comfort in that. And so I kind of immediately, when we got this, you know, diagnosis and everything, I was just like, I need to, I need to share this. Like I need to talk about this because this is not talked about enough. And I just right away opened up and just started sharing about it on my Instagram and just through every single person that I would come into contact with, I would just start to share about it with them. And number one, what that does is that just you find out how common it is and how many people around you are going through the same thing, whether it's them or a loved one. And that was a huge, huge part in kind of accepting it and in turning it around. And, and honestly, finding out how many babies in my life that I know and love that have been brought into this world through IVF that I had no idea, you know, and just seeing these miracles of like, oh my goodness, like all of these beautiful babies like came into this world this way. And I had no idea, you know? And so that was a big part of it. And I think like diving into kind of trying to understand why me and not in a victim mentality, but more in a way of like, how can I use this to not only grow in the process? Because I I don't know, I feel like I always used to hear stories of people who go through these traumatic things and then they like change the world through that. And I'd always be like, but how? Like, you don't have to be this hero. You're going through something so hard, but it really has been super therapeutic to me, just sharing and, and all of that. And then I think over the process of the last year going through IVF, every time that something really hard happens throughout this process, it's just, I somehow am able to, and and of course, everyone has different beliefs, you know, whether it's you believe in God or the universe or whatever it is that you believe in. And, but 
no matter how hard it's gotten, every single hardship has honestly just made me have more faith in this process. And I don't know how, like it's, it's wild. Like it's literally just some sort of like peace that surpasses all understanding. Like I don't, I don't understand how, but almost like every hardship, I'm just like, okay, I'm getting closer. Like this is going to happen. And no matter how many times it takes, like I'm meant to be a mama and like, this is going to happen. And so I just need to keep going because throughout every step of the way, the amount of people that I have met, the amount of women, like it's, it's insane. Like the connections that you make when you're going through something like this, it's so crazy. And it's just, it's just seriously, I, I don't know what I would do with some of the friends that I've met throughout this journey. I don't know what I would do without them. And I don't know what I've done in my life before meeting them. And it just really, really makes you know that you're just, you're in the exact right place at the right time, even though what we're going through freaking sucks. And like, I don't wish this on anyone, but I really wouldn't change it. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the community. A lot of it, you know, just being willing to open up. Like I do get a lot of people who will reach out to me and say, it looks like you have a lot of support. Like, I wish I had that kind of support. And I'm like, the only way you really get it though, is by sharing, by opening up to people. And that kind of support doesn't just come. On like your, your husband on this end. Cause I know like, that's a question, you know, it's something that, you know, with salt or do you have a, want to say something, Sarah? Well, I think also I'm super curious about that, but also maybe you can just quickly kind of describe what you've been through, um, from like getting the diagnosis or hearing you'd have to go through IVF, like until where you are now. Cause you said that was about a year ago. Right. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who oh, like yeah. doesn't know your story. Oh, yeah. Remember you then. and I talked and we remember when we were like, we really want to share what we're going through, but like we also like want to have like we didn't want to have like a filter, remember? Like way back, it was like a while ago, a little over a year ago, where we didn't want to like share too much. And then all of a sudden now we're just like, we're sharing it all. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Once you open the floodgates, it's just yeah, come, all comes out. But, yeah. So so December we had our consultation, December 2021. And they were like, Yeah, next time you start your period. We're going to get you going and, you know, day three recycle, we'll do blood work. Day four, we'll get you on birth control and then start to start to kind of manage your cycle. And then we'll go from there. And it was like, it seemed like it would be happening so fast. But one thing I've learned through IVF is timelines don't usually go the way that you want them to. And so someone gave me advice after one of my first like big kind of timeline letdowns where I was just like so holding on to this date for dear life. And then it got changed on me out of nowhere. And she was just like, you be like, be committed to the next step and be ready for the next step, but do not even think about dates or timelines. Like that's a huge piece of advice I can give you for doing IVF because things can always happen. Literally every single appointment is a huge milestone. And if you make it past that, then you can stay on track, but it's, it's a big deal. So anyway, so I went, I got my blood work done when I started my cycle and they were like, Oh, you need to, your thyroid levels are off and your vitamin D levels are off and these things. And so, because with IVF, everything is so, so precise, it has to be perfect. And so I went to, they sent me to my primary care to basically get my thyroid and my vitamin D levels worked out. And my primary care is like, wait, I don't, I don't understand. Like your levels look, look great. I don't, I don't get 
what they want you to do. And I'm like, I don't know. So I had to have this whole meeting with my primary care and the, my fertility doctor, because in, it's like, this is normal according to, you know, like I'm just, it's, it's a normal amount, like from this level to this level, but from an even smaller level to an even smaller level, that is what's normal for IVF. It's like so precise. And so it has to be perfect. So for me, I was, I was just devastated in that because I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to fix this and that. So, um, it took another few months to get my levels back to what they should be to start IVF. So that brought us all the way out to March of 2022. And that's when I started my first egg retrieval cycle. So, um, for those of you who don't know how this goes, it's usually about two weeks, um, of a cycle. It can be longer if you have a different protocol just for different things, but usually about two weeks and you do a combination of, you know, injections, usually morning and night injections. Um, there's all these different things that you have to do. Your, your mood is crazy. Your hormones are going insane, like up and down. And really the, the purpose of it is to just basically grow as many follicles as you can so that when they go in to do the egg retrieval, they can retrieve as many eggs as possible. It's not just instead of ovulating one egg that month, they're trying to get as many as they possibly can. So you're going in every other day for ultrasounds and blood work and everything is like to a T being monitored. And then had my first egg retrieval the end of March. It's a surgery. So you get put under anesthesia and I went into the appointment, like before I got put under, I went in and I had about 20 follicles, which on, you know, in best case scenario, I would have had 20 eggs that they could retrieve. But unfortunately, when I woke up from surgery, I was super groggy and like couldn't even understand what was going on. But the doctor just was there and he, he looked like he'd seen a ghost. Like he looked very, very upset and just like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but you ovulated. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I didn't even know that was possible or that that was something to be worried about. Before your surgery and they didn't even notice? Yeah. So the thing is, is he thinks, I mean, there's no way to know for sure, but he thinks that I probably ovulated within an hour before the surgery. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because when you do your trigger shot, which is exactly 36 hours before your procedure, you do your trigger shot. They literally tell you exactly when to do it. And it's so precise because exactly 36 hours later, you're supposed to ovulate. And essentially you're supposed to ovulate like during a retrieval, like while you're in surgery is like that, that, that should be the timing, but it was probably within an hour and not to scare anybody who's going through IVF because guess what? Um, this happens to less than 1% of people. So it's, extremely rare. You go and back to so what is not, this teaching me? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's so rare. It's not something that like the average person should be aware of or like, you know, be worried of. And it was just one of the, like, so essentially what happened was I'm, you're on an injection specifically to prevent you from ovulating. My body just didn't respond as it should to that injection. So the way he described it was my ovaries we're wanting is like a tug of war. Like my ovaries are wanting to ovulate, wanting to ovulate, wanting to ovulate. And the injection is like, no, 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 pulling it back. And then it's, he was like, your ovaries just won. And so he said he had, he's like, I have this conversation about once a year, sometimes no times in a year. And so it was devastating. I was obviously so upset. Um, they did end up getting six eggs 
out of the 20, but they were like kind of the smaller ones, the ones that like weren't even ready to ovulate. Therefore, only three of them were mature eggs. And then from that process, they fertilize the eggs. And so they take, you know, one sperm and they inject it in every egg and try to make embryos. So after fertilization, we had two. So we had two fertilized eggs. And then it goes through a seven-day process of they just kind of let it sit in a Petri dish and they wait to see if it forms into what's called a blastocyst. It essentially just means the cells are like dividing and multiplying properly. And at the end of that, we had one blastocyst. And then we chose to do genetic testing. So it's about $5,000 to do that. So a lot of people avoid it. But to us, we were just like, we're already in this deep. We might as well just do it. So we got the genetic testing done. That took about two weeks to get our results back, got our results on our one embryo. And we found out that it's what's called a mosaic embryo, which means that there's none of the like main abnormal abnormalities, you know, kind of like, like how you mentioned Turner's with your story and, um, like down things like that. Like there's none of like the main ones, but they did up, they, they did detect at least some abnormal cells. And so the chances of it sticking and it, you know, there are so many babies in this world that are mosaic. Um, but it's just, they said upwards of like 80% chance of miscarriage. And so to us, we were like, we would rather just do another retrieval first. So we still have that little cute little mosaic baby in the freezer, but we decided to move on with the second one. So we waited a month in between. Um, and that, you know, stop me if you want to want me to talk more about that, that whole thing. But, um, we basically waited a month in between. And then in May, we went on to start our second egg retrieval process. And now this time they gave us a totally, totally different protocol, which was a different injection to make sure that I didn't ovulate. And, um, so it was a totally different one. It's called Lupron. And this one is one of the ones that's like so tried and true. It's been around for so long, like decades. The one that I was on before was newer, but it's so effective. And so like, so, so effective. So it's newer and doesn't have the side effects that Lupron does. Lupron is tried and true. It does the job, but the side effects are gnarly. Like they try to do everything they can to avoid giving you Lupron because of the side effects. It's like instant hot flashes, crazy hunger, the most tired you could ever imagine you could ever be in your life, hormone ups and downs like crazy. It's wild, but um, does the job. So I, me and Lupron are love-hate relationship because it works, but it um, is insane. <laughs> but so anyway, in May, we you know geared up for our second egg retrieval. Everything was looking great. And really what got me through from like one egg retrieval to the next is like, I just kept thinking like, okay, my baby that I'm going to be holding in my arms and looking at them in their eyes was just not one of those eggs. Because if it was, then it would have worked and I wouldn't have ovulated. But there was just a reason where it was like, your baby is not in this cycle. It's not in this group of eggs. And so to me, it was just like, okay. And And like the kind of mantra that I say all the time, my twin sister, Hilly, was the one that told me about this. And I've just been like holding onto it for dear life ever since. But she always says this or something better. Like either this is going to work out or something even better is going to. And so going into my second egg retrieval, I was like so 
so much more relaxed. I felt like a freaking pro. I didn't need any help on like, oh, we got this like injections. There was no stress like at all. They put a couple other things in place where they did an ultrasound right before my egg retrieval, which to me, I'm like, how is that not just standard? You know, like, because yeah. the the money that it takes to do yeah. Yeah. Like it's insane, but that's something I, yeah, that's a whole nother story. But so they did an ultrasound right before and that I was honestly more nervous for that than getting put under for surgery. Like as soon as they saw that my follicles were still intact and they're like, you're ready to go. And I basically had to like run down the stairs with my extremely bloated, crampy belly that like looked like I was seven months pregnant. And I'm just like running down the stairs, like, get me to surgery right now. And so they were able to go in, did the second egg retrieval, woke up to the best news ever that they had re- uh, retrieved 19 eggs this time. Wow. And we had 17 were mature. Yes, didn't ovulate. Um, 14 were able to be fertilized. And then after the blastocyst, like the seven day period, we sent seven over for genetic testing. And that's all very normal stats. Like each step that I just mentioned, you can usually guarantee about half will make it. And so my stats were pretty spot on. It was like 19 eggs, 17 fertilized, 14, um, or, or sorry, yeah, 17 mature, 14 uh, were fertilized, seven sent off for testing. So that was all pretty standard. After our genetic testing, only two came back normal, which is below average. It Even this step is also usually about a 50% shot. So like if you have seven embryos, you can usually guarantee like three or four. We had two, so definitely less than normal, but They have any again, reason as to why? No, it's just like, it could be, it could be anything. It could be 5 million bajillion things. And that's the hard part. And, um, so, so that's what happened. So this, we got two embryos and then we took a couple months off just for personal things, travel things. We had all those sorts of things. And then, cause it's very time consuming IVF. It pretty much takes over your life. You're not only you're have to like have all the injections, but like the appointments, the ultrasounds, the blood work, all the things you have to be like home. So we took like a few months off and then we started our first transfer cycle in October of 2022. So started the shots in the beginning of October, good old loop run again. I was a psycho coming up in, into that whole month. And then um, once it got to October 27th was the day that we we transferred our first little baby and um, you can actually find out the genders in IVF, which is crazy. So we, I found out, I actually found out the day of my transfer that we were having, that it was a boy. And so, because I thought for a long time, I didn't want to know, but then the day of the transfer, I just was like, just tell me because James knew and I just needed to know before our transfer. So we were at lunch before my transfer and I forced him to tell me and found out we were having a little boy. And I did know though that both of our embryos were the same gender. So I now know that our second embryo is also a boy. So anyway, went to the transfer. Everything went perfect, like textbook, like all the ultrasounds leading up to it. The nurses were like, this is textbook. Like I can't even explain to you. It looks amazing. It looks perfect. Your levels could not be more perfect. Like everything was great. And every embryo is graded as well, as well as genet- genetically tested. So we had a grading of it and the grade was perfect, literally the best it could possibly be. So we were just, we had so much hope. And they said that we had about like a 65 to 85% chance that it would work. 
So we just were so pumped and just so excited going into it. And um, so Dad did the transfer. I kind of laid low for a couple weeks. Um, usually your blood test is anywhere from 10 to 12 days after a transfer. So I was starting to feel like pregnancy symptoms and I was like so pumped. And then our test, our blood test was going to be on a Monday. And we were 100% sure that we were pregnant. There was not one doubt in my mind. And we decided that because we were so sure, I'm like, let's just take a test before. And it's like, there's two very distinct camps of testing early with IVF. Like people are either like all about it or absolutely not. And I was honestly, absolutely not. But I was so sure that I was pregnant. So I'm like, this will be so special. Let's just take a test like in the morning. So we decided like Sunday morning, we had nothing to do all day. We're like, let's take a test and then we can go out to brunch and we can celebrate and it's just gonna be the best day ever. And then tomorrow we'll go to my blood test. So wake up in the morning, I'm, like texting my sisters and I'm like, okay, girls, like get ready to FaceTime. Like I'm taking my test, you know, so sure. And did the test. We like waited. We listened to like our favorite worship song while we were waiting. I had James like flip over the test and both of them not pregnant. And it was like, what? Like, I've never been so shocked in my whole life. Like there, it was just the most shocking thing. And in my mind, I went into it saying, okay, and if it says not pregnant, then we'll know that it's might be too early because, you know, our test isn't till tomorrow and like blood tests detect HCG quicker than at-home pregnancy tests. But I knew like right away, as soon as I saw not pregnant, I'm like, it didn't, yeah, we're not pregnant. So that was devastating. Probably one of the worst days of my entire life. And then went in for the blood test the next day on Monday and we walked in and one of the nurses was like, was like, Hey, and she's like, did you cheat? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, and I'm like, no. And she was just like, you could just see like her mouth just dropped. And I think everyone in there was so shocked because they all would tell me like, everything is perfect. Like there's no logical reason that we could explain this. So we do the blood test, we get the results back a few hours later, but we were kind of just like, it didn't, it didn't work. But they called and they said, okay, so the pregnancy test came back positive, but your HCG oh, levels are very low. Yes. Okay. So it was a positive pregnancy test, blood test, but your my, my HCG levels were very low. So technically anything over a five means you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Mine was at an eight. And mm-hmm. typically by day 10, they want you to be at around a hundred. And so I, I was at an eight, which is obviously like not a hundred. 40 or something. And yeah, so that was almost even more devastating because it was like this tiny sliver of hope of like, okay. And then, and then I'm, you know, reading all these things and like getting all these stories from people and they're like, my HCG was really low too. And it, it ended up rising. Like he could have implanted late. Like it could have just, you know, been so many things. And so I had all this hope and you go back two days later to just do another blood test. And if it's doubled, then they're like, okay, we'll get, you know, we'll keep monitoring this. But mine moved from an eight to a nine in those two days. And so what that told us was that he did implant. So I got pregnant, which is a relief. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of times that if you have no implantation, that can be, it's really hard to figure out why. So that was, 
I was at least relieved about that, but obviously devastated. And they basically said, okay, it's at a nine. You have two options. You can, like your doctor, if you called him right now, he would say to stop taking your meds and that this is going to result in a chemical pregnancy and um, like, which is, you know, considered an early miscarriage. But she said, if I, I know how I am. And if I were you, I would just need to try I would need to know that I did everything I could. So she said, if you want, you can do your meds for two more days and come back in 48 hours, do one more test just to make sure. So it was a hard decision because like all I wanted to do was just like not take the horrible progesterone shots that you have to do when you're doing IVF. That's the only shot that I don't like. And you, there were so many things where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to keep putting myself through this. It was basically an entire week. Because my first test was on Monday and the second, the third was on a Friday. So I'm like, I don't want to keep putting myself through this of just getting my blood drawn and then all that, but, and then waiting all day for the response and then finding out. But I just was like, you know what? What's two more days? Like, what is two more freaking days? I can do it. So did two more days where I was optimistic, but kind of knew in my gut that it just, you know, just wasn't I our time. Woman, and so like, when we have that gut feeling, we just... It's like you uh-huh. want to hold on to hope so bad, but you just deep down, there's mm-hmm. just something in your intuition that just knows. Yeah. yeah. Meg and I have both talked about that, that we both mm-hmm. like just had a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, what was insane too, is that I took my pregnancy test on a Sunday morning all the way up until like Saturday afternoon. I was feeling so many symptoms, like all the things like your boobs are sore. Like I was having like implantation bleeding, like lots of cramps, like things like that of all signs that it implanted because those symptoms are even more heightened when you're doing IVF. Just it's a different, you know, obviously your body's going through something a little bit different. But so Saturday night, all of a sudden, like, I just had this weird feeling. And my, my, I all of a sudden was like, my boobs don't hurt anymore. Like in an instant, it just stopped. And I really think that that was probably like, I think he implanted and I think he started to grow, but at some point his cells just like stopped dividing and multiplying the way that they should. And I seriously feel like I know when that moment happened. It was insane, but I know when I, when I had my loss too, I remember texting my my friend and being like, I think something just happened tonight. It's so crazy how in tune you are with your body. And of course I didn't even want to say it out loud because I didn't even want it to be real. So I just didn't even tell anyone until after the fact, but I was like, I don't feel the same way that I did a few hours ago. Like it was Mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. So, so after that, you know, they, I stopped my meds on that Friday and took a, took about like 10 days to like start my period, but it's not, you you know, one thing that I another another blood test and it didn't move. Oh yes, sorry. So Friday I went back again and it was stayed at nine. So nothing changed in those two days. So so that's when I decided to to stop my meds. And then after that, it was just I think one thing that people like don't realize. So like, you know, a chemical pregnancy, that can be so devastating for anybody, right? Like you you could see, oh, I'm because I know there's a lot of people who might not even know that they have chemical pregnancies because it can, if they don't take a pregnancy test, there's really, you know, not many ways of knowing, but it's devastating no matter what. I think with IVF, it's a little different. And I'm not trying to, you know, say that it's 
it's harder like or whatever but like I just it's like when I was in the room getting my transfer done I'll never forget the embryologist walked in the room and was holding the embryo like in like little tweezers and walked in and is like like one embryo for Heather Melton and handed it to the doctor and then the doctor placed it you know into my uterus and I had this moment of like I'm in the same room as my baby. Like I literally just saw my baby before he was ever put inside me. Like this is bizarre, so wild. It's like honestly so cool. Like I got to like see him earthside and like be in the presence of him earthside before ever getting pregnant. And so I think when you have a chemical pregnancy with IVF, it's just different. It should almost be called something different because like I agree the way you're describing I, it like, is different. Yeah. And it, it's because it's like, no, but that was one of my babies, you know, like, and then yeah, when you have when you get your period, and the way yeah. that they describe it, they're like, okay, when you get your period call, and I'm like, it's not a period. It, and that's why I every time I talk about it, I always refer to it as like an early miscarriage, because a chemical is an early miscarriage. But I'm like, I refuse to just say, oh, it's chemical. And I had my period. Like, that's not what happened. You know, like, I was literally like, did you even getting, feel like you know, so, I've had a chemical pregnancy? I didn't. Even, I don't even feel like it was like a period. It was so different than a period. Right. It's not, you know. Yeah, exactly. Because it's pain. It's way more painful. It's way heavier. Like, and Cause even and then just the that. knowledge of knowing like what's happening when mm-hmm. you're going through that is just is just crazy. So so that was really hard. And of course, I'm one of those girls who knew the gender and gave my baby a name. So <laughs> that was a, made it a lot harder to, to grieve. I know. I had Kingston, a, I had a so. therapist, um, tell me to name our baby cause we knew it was a girl. Yes. Um, and yeah, my therapist said you should name her. Um, mm-hmm. so we did. And, and to me, I feel like it, yeah, like what Meg just said, it's like a way of honoring them that they were, you know, they were yeah. real and that was one of our babies and, and it's so weird for me because I, mine, I never knew what they were, you know? So it's yeah. like, I haven't named any of them because I don't yeah. even know. Yeah. I think whatever makes sense to you, you know, like, like everyone's so different when it comes to that sort of thing. And I think just honoring like your gut feeling and how you feel that you should go about it is, is all you need to do. I don't think there's any was, right or wrong answer. Yeah. I was a part and, of an ornament exchange and for lost mamas and like everyone else had like their names for their babies. And on mine, I was like, <laughs> I just call them my angel babies. Like I don't have yeah, totally. names for them. But now I'm know. like, wait, do they need names? Am I doing them? Like it's just like, a whole <laughs> other part of like our shit that we go through during this. So I'm like, do I need to name exactly. them? Like, am I a bad mom that I haven't named them? No, you know? no. <laughs> it's totally just whatever oh, you feel like. Like I know, I know yeah. a lot of people who, they're like, I have been dreaming of this name since I was a little girl. And like, what if I can't use this name? You know what I mean? And so I think that that goes into it too. Like we, ever since James and I got married, we had a boy name and a girl name picked out. And so when he told me the gender that it was a boy, he didn't even say, oh, it's a boy. He said, it's Kingston. And I, so to me, like, I, and then of course I started bawling right away when he said it's Kingston. Cause I just pictured like my little boy and stuff, but like, and then we were kind of joking after we're like, dang it, that was a really good name. <laughs> like, but you know, it's perfect still. Like, and, and like, after going through that, 
I like, obviously it was so hard. I'm like, it can take anyone as long as you need to get through something like that. And I, one thing that someone said that really stuck to me, um, she, she was saying, she's like, you know, Kingston is so brave. Like he, he paved the way like for the rest of his siblings to come into the world. And like, he made you a mama and obviously like changed so much about you and like changed everything. And she's like, what a brave dude. Like he, he paved the way. And like a big thing that I keep thinking of like a huge reason of, I'm like, I know that this is exactly what was supposed to happen is, is like, we, we would have never done another egg retrieval. Honestly, like we had two perfect embryos, two little boys. We were like, that's fine. We, we will be so happy. Let's just do these two boys. I'll be a boy mama. Like, great. Let's just stick with that. And we would have never done another egg retrieval, but now, but we want more than one baby. So immediately, as soon as we found out about all this, we're like, that was another huge part that I had to come to terms with. It's like, oh my gosh, we have to do another egg retrieval. And that can be really daunting from a financial aspect and also just from physical, like how much you go through going through that. So that was a huge part was like, oh my gosh, I have to do another egg retrieval. But then I thought about it and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this was always supposed to happen. Like, like because this happened with Kingston, now we know for sure we're going to be doing another egg retrieval. And when I am holding that baby from that new cycle that never would have happened if this wouldn't have happened with Kingston, like when I'm looking at that baby in the eyes, it's just like this, it was always you. Like it was always supposed to be you. This was all for you. You wouldn't be here if, you know, this wouldn't have happened so with Kingston. Said that. I'm going to, I'm doing my baby shower and I, there was this thing. I'm not going to talk about it because I'm going to get it for you, but it said it was always you. <laughs> And I, I didn't get it. I was like, that's so cute, but I don't think I'm going to get it. And now I just, now it's happening in a whole other. Oh my gosh. I love it. Place. Yeah. And so that just really put into perspective. And now it just makes me like so grateful for, for Kingston and like the, the really, really short time that he was here and in my belly, like he had so much purpose, you know? And so that brings me like a lot of just like comfort knowing that. And obviously I'll never forget that whole process. I'll never forget him. I'll never stop, you know, talking about him and thinking about him and all those things. But, um, I think also even going into, so that was, you know, in November of 2022, and we just found out about that in December, we went through, we, we did more blood work and this, this was like a pretty intense blood work because, my doctor let us do the blood work for recurrent loss. I know Meg, you've done that blood work as well. And it's a pretty comprehensive blood work test that gives you like a lot of answers, usually just making sure that everything's good. And cause really, you know, what my doctor said ultimately was, you know, it's, you have a 65 to 85% chance that this works and you know, 35 or how I'm just so bad at math, 35 to 15% chance that it doesn't work. And that's just where it fell. He's like, circumstances were perfect. I wouldn't change anything. Like even going into the next protocol, I was like, is there anything we should change or do differently to make sure that this didn't happen? And he's like, there was nothing you did. There was nothing that you could have done differently. There's no medication that could have done differently. At some point, the embryo just stopped dividing and multiplying like it should. 
And that's, that's just what happened. He said that like, there could have been a microscopic abnormality that you can't even see under a microscope, can't be seen with any testing, anything. And he's like, unfortunately, that's just what happened. And then he could tell I wasn't satisfied with that. So he's like, well, we have this blood work you can do for recurrent loss that I usually don't even approve unless you've had three losses, but I'll let you do it if you wanted to to try it. So, so we did that blood work along with just like another regular panel. And I was so sure that they would find something just because again, it has to be literally perfect. And I just thought, okay, on one side, I hope they find something so that they can change something and, you know, maybe change my protocol a little bit differently or do something differently this time. But on the other hand, I'm like, obviously, I also hope nothing's wrong because, you know, that that adds a whole nother step and everything else. And so did the blood work, waited a, a week or so, and then got the email just saying, everything looks perfect. We're ready for another transfer. We didn't find anything in the blood work. And I'm just like, what? Again, another just complete shock of a timeline. Like I had kind of just in my mind thought, okay, they're probably going to find some things that need tweaking in the blood work. It's going to take us a few months to adjust you know, adjust that address, whatever needs to be changed, get more blood work, make sure it's good. So I'd kind of written it off and I was like, okay, maybe a spring or summer transfer. That was 100% what I thought, but they were like, okay, um, everything looks good to go. We'll start a transfer. So your transfer is on uh, January 16th. And I'm like, what? And this was like end of December. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. Yes, I'm down, but it was such a shock. So that's where I'm at currently as we're recording this right now. We have two mosaic embryos that are still frozen, but we have one little boy that we're going to transfer. And then, you know, if this doesn't work out, it's this or something better. So that's kind of how I'm going into this. And so if it doesn't work out, we'll probably move straight into another egg retrieval. And obviously, if it does work out, then we'll be able to have a baby. And then, um, after that, at some point, whenever we're ready, we'll, we'll do another egg retrieval after that. So I'm, I'm like young, like I'm 32. So my doctor, since when, when we're in this position where you only have one left, we asked him like, should we do another retrieval now? And he's like, it depends, you know, if, if it was, if you were a different age or if there was different circumstances, I might tell you to do another retrieval now, but he's like, you're young. Even if you have a baby, you could still be young and do another retrieval. So that's where we're at right now. So how long does it, I think you had said this earlier, but so you'll do the transfer on the 16th and then when will you know if you're pregnant? My blood work appointment is on January 30th. So it's exactly two weeks to the day. Usually you can get your blood drawn between 10 and 12 days after, but I'm actually going to be out of town on the 11th and 12th day. And so I just kind of decided I can't get blood work done on the, on the 10th day because I just, I, I, I can't do that and then leave my husband for the weekend, regardless of what the answer is, you know, whether I'm pregnant or not pregnant, I can't just like the next day hop in the car and drive up to, to this conference. So I just decided like, we're just going to wait. So two weeks to the day, January 30th, I'll find out. And then if your numbers look good, you go back two days later and make sure they're doubling. And, you know, if not kind of replay what happened last time. So that's kind of where we're at, but I'm so excited. I'm nervous. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm honestly just, I'm really excited and I'm really nervous. And I'm also really, I actually wouldn't even say I'm nervous. I take that back completely. I don't feel nervous at all. Like, I think I say that just out of habit, but 
I actually feel really good. I feel really at peace. And I think before our first transfer, I genuinely thought I would die if it didn't work. <laughs> I was like, I will die. I'll just drop dead. Like I'm not going to survive. There's just no way. I, I won't make it if this doesn't work. And I actually remember saying that to several people. Um, but then going through it and having it be obviously so hard, you guys, like this is, this is me talking to you after a few months of grieving and processing and working in therapy and crying my eyes out, you know, but getting through it, I feel stronger than ever. Not only that, I feel even more connected to my community and, and really like now, you know, the lost community, like I feel it's just, it's so different. You know, it opens up like a whole, like the, the amount of messages I got from people who I had no idea were even watching my journey or anything. And then once that happened, then it was like opened up of like, Oh, I had a miscarriage. Oh, I had a chemical. I had this, I had this. And then it made me feel even less alone, you know, like even more less alone than I already felt. And so that part has been beautiful. And, you know, it's again, like, I just always think, Hey, why me? Why, why do I have to go through this? What, what am I going to do through this? I am curious about the question that Meg asked earlier. Yeah. I mean, how did your husband, how is he handling all of this on the sharing aspect of it? And then also, um, you know, cause it, it, it's the one thing that we, we always talk about as women, but like it's happening to them too, you know? Yeah. And I think it adds a whole nother layer when it's male factor infertility. So um, we've, it's, it's been obviously really challenging. It's, it's really hard to see him have to go through it and to, for him, just even having it in the back of his mind that like, this is, you know, quote unquote, his fault, you know, like, and I hate that. I hate that feeling. I hate that term because it's no one's fault. Like no matter who, if you or your partner has a diagnosis, regardless, it's not your fault, you know? And so I think even knowing that he might possibly have those thoughts in the back of his mind that like, oh, I'm the reason or it's my fault. And it like literally breaks my heart. Um, we definitely, like the way he expresses everything, he's really pretty even keel. A lot of the time he doesn't really show a lot of emotions, but another, you know, therapy <laughs> here's back on my, therapy's the therapy best friend rant, over but... here up in this house. Yeah, too. Okay. <laughs> therapy, um, that's been really helpful. Like we started marriage therapy too, which has been really good. And like, it's like every other week, it's like, I do my own personal therapy. And then the next week we do marriage therapy and then we switch off. So that's been super helpful. We feel, I feel so much closer to him every single time we end a session, even if it ends with us kind of being like, I don't know how I'm going to recover from this, but then it just somehow <laughs> like, then, then you just start talking and you just feel closer and you just feel, yeah. yeah, like you just feel better somehow after each session, even if it's a little scary there for a sec. But so he's, he definitely takes it to heart. Like it's, it's hard on him for sure. And we both kind of use humor as a way to kind of deflect things. And so we will kind of joke, you know, he'll make jokes about it and stuff. And he'll be like, like, yeah, well, my shit doesn't work anyway. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever. Like he'll just say stuff like that. And it's, it's, we like joke about it, but it's obviously really, really hard to go through. And, and I honestly feel like 
A big reason, kind of circling back to my first egg retrieval when I ovulated early, and it was something that like my body did that I had no control over that was devastating, that you know, was so heartbreaking that caused us to have to spend a lot more money to do another one, like all these different things. I think that a big reason why I was meant to go through that was really to kind of put myself in his shoes and see like when you're, when you're, when it's seemingly like your body fails you in in a way and not having any way to change it and just feeling helpless, but feeling so like bad and guilty. Like I remember apologizing to him over and over and over again, just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he's like, why are you apologizing? Cause you just feel some sort of blame, you know, even though there's nothing you could do. And so I think going through that brought us even closer because now we both kind of had, you know, we both had equal parts in it of like, okay, we're in this situation, you know, for, we're in this situation for this reason, but, you know, now we're have to do another egg retrieval because of, because of what happened with me, you know? So I think it, that was a huge thing that really brought us closer was going through something like that. And being in the situation where I'm like, oh, my body just did something that I didn't want it to do and I had no control over it and I feel guilty. So I think it, it really helps me to kind of get in the same headspace as him and it just brought us closer. But he definitely, of course, feels feels terrible, you know, but but we are we're stronger than ever. So is he just like totally fine with you sharing? Because my fiance was like pretty just fine with me opening up about it. And I feel like, Meg, maybe you're in like a slightly different situation at first. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So is he just like, is he just like cool with you being like totally open? I think more so for like the, it's more like this is so private for us, you know, and my husband's such a private person. So that was hard for him because he's not active on social, like doesn't get it get the whole like need for it, you know? Um, and so, you know, that was a huge thing for us that like I had to work through because it's something that, you know, at least on my end, like it's something that my body did. So it's like, I needed to speak out to relate, to feel less alone that like it was broken for me. And so I think that's what was hard for him to like realize that, but now that, you know, with therapy and all the things like, Obviously, I'm. We have a podcast on this now, so like we've we've moved yeah. past that. But, yeah. So yeah, I think for so at first when I was because like I, I started sharing when I was going through my initial testing of just like for me, and he had no problem in that at all, and he would be like, I think it's great, like you know, all the like a lot of his friends and people that he knows would be like, oh, that's so cool that how they're sharing this, you know, and he'd be like, yeah. And he'd be always say, so proud of me, all these things. And then as it started to get to where it was like, oh, we found out why. And it's male factor infertility. So that obviously involves him. He was really hesitant to have me share the reason why he just basically was like, please just don't share why. Like you can say we're doing IVF. And like, if someone asks you, you can tell them privately but I just don't want you like blasting all over social media that like my sperm doesn't work, you know? So at first he was, he basically asked me not to share with people because it was, he just didn't want it all over. And so I was super, you know, respectful of that. 
I told the world, you know, that we were doing IVF and, but, and then told that, or, but didn't really say why people do ask me a lot in my DMS and they ask me why. And I just, I'll just privately message them. Like if I put a question box up there or something, and there's always like, anytime I do a question box, sometimes I'll get like 10 questions and eight of them are, why are you doing IVF? And it's crazy. Everyone wants to know why, which is, you know, I get it. And (laughs) yeah, people are just curious. And I'm such an open book that like, of course they feel comfortable asking me. And, and so I just privately message them and I'm like, Hey, like, this is why. And I I explained it because he told me like, I don't care if you just say it privately, you know, but I just don't like post it um, openly, but it's like, that's, that was kind of how it started in the beginning. But then as time went on, he just was like, babe, we're kind of past that point. Like, you know, I, when we're, cause that was the very beginning when we first started doing IVF like a year ago. And then after a while he was just like, I don't care. Like just share whatever. So I think I've shared maybe like two or three times now, super brief. Like we have male factor infertility done. Like that's all I really share. Um, so, right. So I just don't really get into details about that. And people are always so shocked when I tell them that they're like, Oh my gosh, this entire time I had would have had no idea because I don't, you know, share about it really. But, um, but now he, he doesn't care now. He's like, yeah, I don't care. You can tell anybody, it's but great that it you was are, just in the beginning. I, I doubt yeah. a bunch of women are out there sharing that. And there's definitely a woman out there that are going through it, you know? And I'm sure right. there are a lot of men exactly. in, in like the yeah. same respect, a lot of men that aren't comfortable with sharing that. So I like applaud him for, you know, being able to be open about it. Cause all of us know that this just isn't an easy thing to be open about. And so he's really in the same kind of in the same boat, you know? Mm -hmm, Totally. Yeah. And yeah, so that was hard to kind of, it was hard to get to that point. And I still, even though now he tells me he doesn't care and I can share whatever I want, I still am just hesitant to just, you know, say that just because I know there was a time that he was uncomfortable, but like, but he tells me all the time, I don't care. You can share. Like, that's fine. You know, he's always like, I don't want people to think it's you. I'm like, I don't care. It's fine. I'll take the, I'll take it. I don't care. But he knew from the beginning though, like when I told him like this, you have no idea how much it helps me to share. Like it is so therapeutic for me to just get things out. And of course, then you welcome the comments and you welcome the messages and you welcome the ad- advice. And I just that's take that with a grain, you know, part. I just, <laughs> yeah, always the fun part, but you know, you just kind of take that. And I just am like, thank you so much for the advice. Honestly, a lot of times I, I don't even read it. If I start to read a message that seems like it's going south, I don't even finish reading it. And I just am like, thanks so much for your message, you know, and just move on because I just can't even deal with that. But yeah, so that's kind of where, where we're at like, now. We're awesome release. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Bless and release. Bless and block. Infertility term. Bless and block. <laughs> yeah. Bless and block. I love it. But yeah, so that's kind of like where we're at now. I'm I'm super so soon. excited. So soon. Oh my God. Like 12 it's days. In 12 days. So I am so excited. And like, honestly, just the transfer process itself is the most beautiful, miraculous, incredible thing to ever be a part of just when you're in the room and just that whole process. 
And the two weeks after where I was the most like, I'm usually so extroverted and I just want to be around people all the time, but I did not. I wanted to just be alone and or be with James. We had the best two weeks ever. Like we were having so much fun. We were just, we were, we were watching so many shows. We were like having fun with like, oh, what should we have for dinner tonight? Oh my gosh, that'd be so fun. Like we were just had the best time. I don't think I've ever spent that much time with James, even during like lockdown. Like I don't think we spent that much time together. So like, I'm looking forward to that a lot. And even after when we found out about our loss, it was a couple of weeks or like a week or so went by where I was still like extroverted. Don't, don't want to see anyone, whatever. And I think a lot of my friends and family were like worried about me because that's so not me to be introverted. And they all thought I was depressed or, you know, all these things. And which I was, of course, there's part of me that was depressed, but we would, James and I just kept joking. We're like, we somehow have laughed so much this week, even though it's been the worst week of our lives. Like we've just somehow had a great week together. I don't know how, but I think obviously really working on your marriage throughout this process is huge. I think you, you all know that whether you're, you know, marriage or with your partner, like working on that foundation, your relationship is 100% necessary. So brought us closer and it definitely strengthens a marriage more than anything yes. ever could, I feel like. <laughs> yes. And yeah, that's why I'm like, I wouldn't take any of this back. Like I, I really wouldn't, like I would not trade places with someone who gets pregnant first try and has a baby in their arms right now. Like I wouldn't trade places somehow because it we just wouldn't be my story. You know, it just wouldn't. doing amazing things through this. And what is your, what is it? Why me? <laughs> Why me? Like literally yeah. this is why exactly me? why. To share your story yeah. and just your Kingston story and your future littles. And oh my gosh, well, Heather, yeah. we are so grateful for you. Sarah, do you have any other like last questions before we wrap just, it up? No, or? no last questions. Just so grateful for you and like sharing everything that you're going through. And so many women are going to be inspired by your journey. And I cannot wait until you have your baby in your arms and just celebrating you and sending you so many prayers and energy and well wishes this month. And I'll be thinking of you on the 16th and on the 30th and just yeah, so thankful. Listening to this prayers up this month for the melt. Yeah. Prayers up you guys. This is, it's like, it's either happening or there's going to be a huge reason why it didn't. And we're going to this or something better, you know? This or something better. It's going to be good either way. The things I'm taking away from this call. This or something better. Definitely. It's amazing. Uh Well, Heather, we love you. Thank you so much for pouring your heart. I love you, girls. Thanks for having me on. We can't wait to hear the next steps. Uh, You you will definitely (laughs) be the first to know. (laughs) How do you, can you share your Instagram? So if anybody listening to this wants to follow your story, they, they know where to find you. Yes, of course. Okay. So my Instagram handle, it's at Hev Melt. So my name is Heather Melton. So it's like Hev Melt, um, H-E-A-T-H-M-E-L-T. Please reach out too. I would love to chat with you. My DMs are always open. I answer every single message that I get. So it's not like I have a huge platform or anything, but like, <laughs> that's why I, I have the time. Grateful for that to be able to answer every message. So yeah, please reach out. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Of course. Have a good night. Bye, you guys. Bye. 
Thanks for listening. It would mean everything to us if you'd rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us, your hosts, on Instagram at Meg Och, M-E-G-O-C-C-H, and at S-J-Silk, S-J-S-I-L-K, and follow at Meant to Be Mama underscore podcast for all podcast-related updates. Our biggest goal is to create community in this space. So feel free to DM us, introduce yourself, and share your stories if you're open to it. You can also find our private Meant to be Mama community by requesting us on Facebook and searching Meant to be Mama podcast community. You can find all of these links in the show notes. See you next episode.